Gone Girl is a book by Gillian Flynn and it tells the story of Amy, a woman who lives in Missouri, disappears on her fifth anniversary. Her husband, Nick, is mystified and tries to figure out what happened because he finds a scene at his house where the ottoman is upturned and uh, it looks like something's hastily been cleaned up and so the police are called and uh, the thing turns into an investigation uh, the book uh, goes on to tell the story of uh, uh, the two met and they met in New York. So Amy actually uh, is from New York and her parents were famous children's book authors. Well, I mean, were in the sense that the Amazing Amy series, which uh, is both based on and a projection on Amy, uh, has tailed off in sales in recent years. So... Uh, after they get married, um, the 2008 crash happens, and when Nick loses his job, uh, uh, Amy's parents ask for money that she thought was hers back with some sort of a trust fund or something, and uh, then Nick uh, learns that uh, his mom, who's divorced from his dad back in Missouri, uh, is sick with cancer so they actually move back to Missouri and they use what uh, a lot of what very little uh, Amy has left to invest in a bar that Nick runs with his sister go the book goes on with uh, diaries well the diary for Amy goes back a few years uh, and the diary for Nick is uh, based on how many days after Amy goes missing. So that tracks the events uh, that, uh, you know, that follow um, her disappearance, including uh, the, uh, the volunteer center and the searches uh, and the questioning uh, of Nick and all that. And then... Uh, well, the diary goes back and uh, tells stories, you know, about uh, during the marriage. And uh, you know, a lot of it paints a pretty bleak picture of what of uh, what what uh, Nick was doing. Well, it turns out he was actually uh, up to some things. He was having an affair with a community college student uh, named Andy. And that... Uh, that did uh, earn him a lot of negative publicity as uh, the search for Amy went on. Uh, but it turns out that uh, the reason Amy was missing is because she had decided to go missing. Well, she goes to hide out. Uh, apparently, she at first had decided to go and commit suicide, uh, kill herself and float uh, down the river uh, 
and the Mississippi River maybe be found, maybe not. But she figured that her husband would be uh, tried for her murder, especially because she planted searches about uh, how bodies flowed down the Mississippi. And remember, they're in Missouri. They're uh, just uh, west of the Mississippi River. Uh, and the uh, real uh, story is that Amy went and hid out, and then she decided not to kill herself. She watched the media coverage, and uh, she um, actually got um, shaken down and robbed by uh, some hillbillies that were in the uh, Ozark uh, cabin uh, complex that she was staying that she, I don't know, was, like, too laid back with. Uh, And they stole her, like, $8,000 or something like that. Uh, So she went to this uh, ex-boyfriend who while he was willing to hide her and uh, claimed to want to help her, he uh, just had a kind of a crazy obsession with her. I'd been writing her letters for years. And he uh, apparently, like, his mother had a lot of money. Um, although, like, he, the, she and Amy had had a crazy fight uh, back in, uh, like, high school when they had known each other. Uh, uh, and Amy is in her uh, 30s, as is Nick in the events of the story um so she goes to this guy's uh vacation home but she finds she feels trapped she finds that or at least she claims that there's walls there that uh basically she's locked in of course she's hiding right she's laying low because she went missing and i guess she doesn't want to be found right now so uh it's apparent like like uh, she she didn't really you know realized the situation she was getting herself into so she decided to get out of it and she um finally lets uh the the guy have sex with her uh but after that uh gives him a drink or maybe before or whatever but with crushed up sleeping pills and then uh stabs him to death and claims that he was the one that abducted her she tells that story to the police who she sells it to and she comes home and Nick is determined to stand up to her but she still has some blackmail items to hold over him like there was stuff in the diary about her fingernails turning blue and she saved some of her vomit which did actually have antifreeze in it of course she had put the antifreeze in there but she had it as sort of a blackmail. She had the she had blackmail vomit, and she could uh, turn it over and claim that there was proof that uh, Nick had poisoned her. Uh, and there's so because not enough people turned against Nick, he uh, actually uh, doesn't know what to do, and he he uh, nominally stays with her for a while, but looks for a way out. He actually finds the the frozen vomit. Uh, just uh, pours that out but Amy doesn't care at that point um, she has managed to impregnate herself with sperm uh, banked before she had gone missing before any of that uh, when they had been trying to get pregnant and she uses that as sort of a final blackmail to keep Nick around Uh, and you know the story goes, the language, I would say, it goes from 
kind of a commentary style, a kind of colorful style to a really kind of um, uh, sparse kind of, you know, heavy style at the end. Uh, it, 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 the, the way the writing changes now, of course, uh, there, there has to be, there's a point where Amy uh, starts narrating it, uh, instead of uh, just um, uh, writing the old diary, having the old diary speak for her. And in this narration, she admits a, a lot of the things I was talking about, but also that the uh, previous, the, the old diaries are faked and, and there's part of this, this whole uh, elaborate plot. I have uh, some quotes, and that 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 I uh, that that stood out to me when I was uh, reading through it. Uh, so, um, one of the things I noticed is by the end that kind of uh, uh, heavier style. Uh, it it reminded me in some ways of Chuck Palahniuk. So at the beginning. Uh, it seemed kind of contemporary. It seemed, you know, uh, like there were a lot of references. A lot. It it had a, a, you know, a time frame of very current seeming. I mean, you know, it's talking about it's set in like I don't know around twenty eleven. I mean, you know, so it wasn't that long ago when it was set. Even you know, I mean, it has that that kind of feel, but it gets you know, bleaker and and uh, I guess you know maybe there's a kind of evolution location because it has this you know like new york is the romantic place where they met and then missouri is this uh um kind of uh, dreary uh place that they you know they end up and is you know maybe that has uh, an effect on it uh, uh on the writing uh the, the stylistic uh portrayal uh, so, but uh, i'm i'm reading this uh this part quote Tampon commercial, detergent commercial, maxi pad commercial, Windex commercial. You think all women do is clean and bleed, unquote. Um, and, I mean, that's in between uh, looking for... Um, she's watching at this point. Uh, she's in the cabin, and she's uh, watching for a uh, famous TV host to discuss her case. Uh, maybe maybe that, that TV host named Ellen has... Uh, elements of uh, Nancy Grace kind of personality. I, I don't know. Well, there's uh, another quote. Um, it's, quote, it's very, it's a very difficult era in which to be a person, just a real actual person, instead of a collection of personality traits selected from an endless automat of characters, unquote. Mm. You are listening to podcast number 146. With me, Dan McKeown, I'm recording March 7th, 2015. You can send us feedback at the show, 2015 at sf3am.com. Check out the website, djmcloud.com slash 64. And now here's some uh, clips, including uh, one uh, via the history of 
The Streets series. So uh, if you want to see more of that, they have a website at the Real Streets, Streets with a Z, dot uh, com. Kalamazoo, Edison, and Patterson Street areas. Okay. And blocks throughout Southeast Grand Rapids, giving it the nickname of Gunroo. Two cities with the most history outside Detroit are Flint and Saginaw. The small town Saginaw had blacks living in the city since the mid-1800s, but not yeah. until the 1980s, the city became rough, starting with the old school gangs from the posse or the cliques to the seven street players or crazy eights with infamous neighborhoods like the old Daniel Heights projects, Bird Street, Sheridan Park, and others. United States is based on guns. Flint is a smaller version of Detroit. Right? Today, the state of Michigan has declined from the once famous all-black resort, at one time the only place in the country that blacks were allowed to vacation at, to the communities that have been abandoned and neglected for decades with the closing of schools, businesses, and shopping centers. As all the factories in the state began to close, leaving many people unemployed and in need of help. A lot of shit I see unnecessary because up here ain't got no more unity, man. And I ain't got no more OGs to tell me. What do you do for a living? I the shortest out here. Wow. Right. The agenda is in the next two years. No deal. It's a game plan uh, play out. It's not a new agenda. It's the uh, same old story where okay. a, a radical leftist Marxist group takes over a legitimate political party like the Democrat Party. Really? Tricks the party itself into thinking that they're mainstream. Obama told the country he's going to cut the deficit. You're a fucking drag, you know that? Care is not a tax. He'll obey the Constitution. It was a mainstream candidate with an agenda that he never intended to implement. That's why in my film, There's No Place Like Utopia, it's a joke. compare it's Obama a to the Wizard of Oz because he was a charlatan from the get-go. And his intentions uh, were never good. Uh, when Dorothy gets to the witches, to the uh, Emerald City, the Wizard of Oz gets her to the witch's castle. She's taken prisoner in the dungeon. And oh my God! I can't believe it's you. Who the fuck are you? In the film, Detroit, Chicago, uh, Denver, Newark. Byron Putz bought the little building right there. IGA clothes and all that, so I mean, shit, now we basically get it how you live type shit. Okay. The historic okay. side went from being the most striving and heart of the black community to becoming known for blood and crip sets that were later spread to the far east side into neighborhoods off of James Road, like East Haven, or communities off of Livingston, like Elaine Road. The east side was most famous for its projects like Sorrow Manor, Mount Vernon Plaza, the Poindexter Projects, and the Greenbrier Apartments. Greenbrier Apartments was one of the most active places in the city during the 80s and 90s and was often referred as Uzi Alley until the city forced the owners to close the apartments. Fair enough. After the highway destroyed parts of the historic east side, people moved to the south side in the driving park area around Livingston. 
When the streets of the South Side became active in the 80s and 90s, it gained a huge reputation in the city with the help of blocks like 22nd or FNL, standing for Fairwood Livingston, and a number of others, along with old apartments that were either sold or demolished, like Smith Road, Lincoln Park, or Cambridge. Okay, y'all, y'all got y'all taping. All right. All right. This is the Cleveland Police Department, District Number Seven, sir. Used to be live back in the day, though. Yeah, yeah. It's still junk, you feel me? It's just certain days. Like, they having an East Side reunion uh, at the park now. That's what I asked you about. Yeah, what is it? Park right down here in Berlin. They always had that East Side reunion. It's free. And think how many uh, businesses have been spawned on the Internet. Think how much uh, web traffic there is. Think how much high business goes on. Think of uh, all oh, the no, businesses that we have now as uh, consumers, and think of the constant improvement, the speeds, and the don't tell me what to do. Done to improve the service that we have on the internet. Now they're going to treat it like this a over company or an electric utility with 1934 regulation. The Obama people, you don't understand, ladies and gentlemen, do you realize the socialists Shut the fuck up. control of everything? They can't, they've, they've, they've got their hands on health care and they're about to ruin it. Now they want to ruin the internet. And you are all losers. But you we are the, head. the FCC has refused you to testify to Congress. He has defied them. He's going to do what he's going to do. And don't ask me about it. Big so that's, that's what they're saying. Uh, I don't want to live under a dictatorship. This Does is the land like of the free and the home of the brave. Let's fight for it. If you don't stand up and say something, they're going to run over you like a steamroller. That's what's going on. I mean, our liberties are being eroded no, every no. single day that those guys are uh, up there in Washington the doing what they do. You know what it might be? Nobody really cares. There's a big Bitcoin auction. I don't know if you heard about this. Uh, the Feds auctioned, um, according to CNBC.com, uh, about $13.5 million worth of Silk Road Bitcoins, they're calling them. Now, uh, these are Bitcoins that were seized in the uh, uh, civil forfeiture related to the... Uh, Ross Ulbricht, uh, a case in, uh, where they prosecuted him for uh, running the so-called Silk Road marketplace. So the U.S. Marshals were the ones that uh, got their hands on Bitcoins. Uh, uh, the One of the accounts I looked at said that the Bitcoins were... Uh, you know, in an account controlled uh, by that guy that went on trial, uh, Ulbricht, and and uh, they, it was it was about fifty thousand units of the of of Bitcoin. So the value having gone down a little bit in the last year or so, uh, that would have been even more 
uh, before, maybe even, you know, when it was seized at that time. Well, I've heard some conversations lately uh, about retirement planning. So you find that people are, are getting a, a wide range of different advice about how to uh, financially uh, plan for retirement. And I mean, you know, uh, retirement savings, you know, that, that people have, whether they're, you know, uh, young, you know, in their 20s, whatever, or if they're they're saving you know to retire in the next decade or so like of course there are going to be different strategies but you know the basic fundamentals um come down to you know what return you can get and you know what what what's your benchmark what do you what is the baseline you're looking at so i i uh talk about these and i talk about what i consider the uh, good benchmark for example the s p 500 index and i talk about uh this and a lot of the issues that go into retirement financial planning in a book on the web that I've just published. Now it's the type of thing that uh, uh, right now it's in version 0.5.2 and if you know if I get um, good uh, suggestions and corrections I can you know update it and uh, you know for now it's it's just on the web so you know it's it's it can be updated quickly. Uh, you can find it at info slash books slash retirement. Uh, the name of the book is Retirement Planning Like a Dinosaur. So it's just a theme. It's kind of a light theme, like an angle, but really it ta- it's it's meant to be informative. It, it has a you know, discussion about 401ks, IRAs, and then the type of investments that can be made you know, with those. And I talk about commodities and how I'm skeptical about that. And then I talk about, you, you know, the... Uh, they do passively managed funds and the value of putting assets in uh, funds that track major stock indices. And I talk about all the reasons for that. And I discuss the market efficiency hypothesis and inflation, deflation, you know, a lot of things like that. And uh, so, if you wanna, if you wanna read it, and you know, just you know, see my perspective on on these uh, on these things as an MBA and as someone who has uh, thought some of these issues through, as my wife and I have. Uh, you know, worked on our uh, uh, financial planning. Uh, it, you know, you can you can check this out. You can you find a link to it at the show notes. Uh, uh, you can go to djmcloud.com slash 64 and then look for podcast 146. The show notes should have a link to the book. And you can also find uh, more information about my books at pacificpelican.us slash press, the pacificpelican.us independent press site. So a tool I found useful in uh, writing the retirement planning like a dinosaur book was the uh, version control system called uh, Mercurial. So Mercurial is uh, sort of a rival to Git among the uh, current uh, generation uh, uh, source code management platforms. Uh, 
uh, I guess Git is actually a lot more popular. So GitHub uh, supports Git. Other sites like Bitbucket will support uh, Git and Mercurial, but I, I, you could uh, see in a lot of places where uh, Git and even GitHub to an extent uh, has become a, a, a big standard. But using Mercurial is uh, very straightforward. It's 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 pretty easy. Um, so really, I just went to a to uh, you know basic tutorial, and uh, you know really uh, the first few uh, sections of it have a lot of what you you need to just start you know keeping uh, version control, keeping you know uh, records of different versions of uh, what you're creating. So whether you use uh, versioning like I did on on the book where. I try to use semantic versioning, so it's it's currently 0.5.2, so it, uh, you know, that means that, you know, like the major version, the minor version, and then the, the bug fix or something like that, you know, and, uh, you know, it's a metaphor that's, I guess, it's kind of native to, like, code, so maybe I'm kind of pushing on the book, but what I'm, what I'm thinking is, really, it does make sense. I know a lot of uh, writers have moved to uh, Markdown and stuff like that, and I... Well, I use Markdown sometimes, especially when I'm doing GitHub stuff, because they, they really push a GitHub-flavored Markdown. I also will sometimes write in HTML, uh, you know, and uh, so I, I don't really know exactly uh, if, uh, if, if you know, the best way for me to, you know, write my next project will be to write it in Markdown or in HTML, but I think I'm going to try writing it in one of those instead of... Uh, I, I guess I would say plain text with occasional HTML, but I'm going to try to do the formatting, you know, based the formatting on, you know, HTML tags from the beginning, uh, instead of going in and adding section headers, you know, in a word processor or even, you know, manually later. And then uh, I'm going to use Mercurial to track the changes like I did with this uh, uh, previous book. I, I think that that uh, as I work on you know, my workflow with it, uh, I think that, that it, you know, it's the type of thing that, that could be uh, showed to a lot of writers, uh, and and you know replace trying to keep you know versions on like a word processor or something. Well, if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, you remember Jim. He's he's been on a handful of episodes. Uh, uh, I haven't been able to get him on. Uh, as much recently, uh, you know, I've moved to Washington uh, last summer, and so the scheduling is more difficult. Uh, but he does have his own podcast now that he's doing with a friend, and you can check it out. Go to fortnite.ly. That's right. Uh, the podcast is called Fortnightly. This has been episode 146, recorded on March 8th, 2015. For more information, check out my website, pacificpelican.us.